listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, ho, let's go. Welcome to another week. Oh, yeah. Best Served Cold. Another week, another episode, another yeah. existential crisis. Well, there's just a constant ongoing thing Yeah, that never really stops. It's a little sneak peek into one of my new songs by Juno coming out oh, soon. Oh, there you go. A yeah. little, little uh, plug little in plug. there. Love that within yeah. the first 30 seconds. Well done. Hell yeah. Anyway, welcome to Best Serve Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I am Laura, one of your hosts. Okay. And I didn't come up with a catchphrase this week and just attempted to make one in the two and a half seconds right. it took to say my name. That's why but you went Laura. Didn't, it didn't really work. So Great. Yeah, that's Cool. All right. <laughs> uh and no it's not a rash, it's just your other co host, Tama J Toa. Very nice. I like that one. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, welcome to Best Serve Cold. If you are new around here, we, like I said, drink wine and talk about crime. Uh, we do like to do a little disclaimer at the start of every episode, let you know that we do tend to swear quite a bit in the show. So if the F's and the C's and the MF's and the D's and the the CO's and the, the GD's, GD's, all of that is not your shit, then we would kindly ask you to fuck off. God damn it. God damn it. Um, no, you don't have to fuck off, but you know, just we like you to know, warn be people. Aware. Be aware, we swear a lot. We're very, uh, we're very Australian, is what I'm learning. Well, in Australia, it's sort of just it's not very a normal. It's just not swear. a very big thing to swear. Um, it's just quite normal, yeah. much like how in America it's quite normal to own a gun. Yeah, it's just like and yeah, yeah it's just we don't do it here. Yeah, we just swear a lot. We make up for it. Yeah. Uh, if you are also new around here, you can check us out on social media at the BSC podcast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Although I have been very lax on all of those things. I'm really sorry. I'm really struggling maintaining my life with jury duty. Yeah. Laura has been quite uh, involved with the law here in Sydney. Sydney, Australia. Australia. I'm not allowed to tell you anything about the case. I don't know if I'm allowed to say anything about the case once it's finished. I'll find out and I'll let you all know if I'm allowed to tell I you. I imagine you are because once it is finished, we're going to fucking like spill the beans. Yeah, I on... don't know. I'll, I'll ask. I'll find out if I'm allowed to talk about it. I imagine. Unless I it's know. like a I'll Jesse ask. Kempson thing where it's like zero... Name suppression. Name suppression. Well, sort of I thing. don't know. I guess... I guess we'll find out. I think either tomorrow or the day after should be my last day. Yeah. So. Well, in that case, we'll just use, you know, nicknames. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just make up names. Yeah. Uh, The other disclaimer will be that after this episode that you're listening to today, we will have two more episodes and then we're going to take a little break over the Christmas New Year period. So you've got the 1st of December, the 8th and the 15th. And then we'll be taking a little break, as should you all be taking a little break, spending it with your family, yep. friends, nope. dogs, cats. Cats who have the zoomies and interrupt your has podcast. decided to go insane just as we started recording. Yep. Cool. It's okay. She'll get I over it. I think that's all the uh, groundskeeping. No, that's housekeeping. Groundskeeping. Groundskeeper Willie. That's all the housekeeping I have for this week. What about you, Tama? 
I just want to say that thank you guys for another great year of podcasting. Um, it's really been a weird journey starting this podcast in lockdown and then falling into a second lockdown and having this podcast sort of resurge. Mm-hmm. We kind of for a while, um, if everyone remembers, we went on a bit of a definite hiatus because things were just so bizarre and yeah, we just the show kind of just sort of you know, astronomically rose in one sense out of nowhere and we just didn't really know what to do with it. Um, and then with the inclusion of our TikTok content, things doubled down and really quadrupled. Mm. Um, and it still hasn't really processed in our brains that we have this general audience now because um, it's, it's just a weird thing to always re- remind yourself of. Being in a podcast format... We're not face-to-face with you guys. We're posting content and then after the fact, you're listening to it. Mm. So, it's hard for us to sort of grasp the fact that there is like over a thousand people listening to each and every episode and there's half a million people who have viewed one of our TikTok videos. Yeah. Um, So, you know, um, we're trying to... She's just going crazy, and while I'm doing this heartfelt speech as well. I'm so sorry if you can hear that. Guys. Um, so we're trying to we're trying to ground ourselves and just thank you guys very much for yeah, your help and for your support. support across the nearly two years that we've yeah, been doing this show. Yeah, That's and wild. the two lockdowns subsequently from during the podcast's lifespan. So thank you guys very much for you know being a fan of the show and spreading the love of the all around and sharing it with your friends and. We ask that you continue to listen to the show and continue interacting continue, with us. Yeah, leave us a review and that's share it. the show because podcasts really only kind of have word of mouth to yeah to grow. Yeah. So, you know, we appreciate it. And that's and it. And with that, oh, my God, she's really going. I'm so sorry if you can hear that, guys. I don't Because we're no. not going to edit this out because no. we're too lazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump straight into my story. Great. Which was a recent thing I decided that I wanted to do some more research on in the last few days because I started watching Killing Eve, which I'm sure there's people listening to this screaming at me because it's such a great show and how did I not start watching it mm-hmm. like four years ago when it first came out? I know. I know. I'm obsessed. Did it come out four years ago? I think the first season came out in 2018. So damn. Yeah, nearly four years. God damn. Anyway, so as I'm sure we are all obsessed with our main female character, Villanelle, uh, I decided to look into female assassins. Cool. So obviously there's a lot of stories very similar to the character from Killing Eve, which are kind of drenched in either rumor or fiction and also a lot of like anti-Russian rhetoric as well, anti-Russian and anti-Chinese rhetoric um, when it comes to talking about like female plant assassins. And then I stumbled across Charlotte Corday. So I thought I would talk about her because she seems like a fucking badass and I love her. So also there's a lot of French in this story takes place in the French revolution. Great. You should, you should be fine with that. I'm okay at pronouncing okay. French, but if I say things wrong, I apologize. So, uh, Marie and Charlotte de Cordia de Mont was born on the 27th of July in 1768 in Normandy. So she was born into, um, aristocracy, but from what I could see her family kind of when she was born, her family's, kind of lineage was on the decline. So while she was born into a wealthy family, I think their wealth was kind of dwindling, dwindling at that yeah. stage. 
and not a huge amount as can be imagined from a person born in 1768. Not a lot can be found about her super early life. Uh, For the most part, it appears fairly mundane and normal. The only interesting tidbit was her parents were cousins. So do with that what you will. There you go. So while she was still quite young, Charlotte's father passed away suddenly and unable to cope with the grief, her mother sent Charlotte and her younger sister to a convent to be raised. So it's here that Charlotte gains access to a great library and she devours the works of people like Plutarch and Voltaire. As the French Revolution begins to heat up and becomes uh, more heated and more violent, Charlotte finds herself sympathising with one of the many uh, kind of community groups, I guess the best word would be, that are involved in the revolution and they're called uh, Gionda. So these groups were mainly consisting of lesser nobles, landowners and other kind of upper middle class citizens who supported the downfall of the French monarchy. She strongly believed in the group's views and felt that they would ultimately become the saviors of France. There was another prominent group within the hierarchy of the revolution called uh, Montagnard, who held similar similar beliefs to the uh, Giondas, but they went about it in a much more violent way, and they essentially believed that the only real way to stage a revolution was to simply murder anyone who disagreed with you, even slightly, and Charlotte found their views abhorrent. So Jean-Paul Marat was a rather outspoken French political theorist, physician, and scientist, and he also worked as a journalist and politician during the French Revolution. So much of his work and um, much of what uh, Montagnard supported, I guess, is essentially what we kind of now know as like an eat the rich sort of ideology. Right, gotcha. Um, So it's an advocacy of basic human rights for the poorest members of society, which, you know... We should all do, but they were also super violent about rich people. Gotcha. So a very quick history lesson of Marat. He was born in 1743 in Prussian Principality, which is now formerly part of Switzerland. His parents were both immigrants and it doesn't appear that they had a lot of money, but they did instill in him a fierce love of learning and a very strong social conscience. He works for a while as a doctor, even though he has no qualifications and in because he wasn't able to get... Um, my understanding of how you qualified to be to actually go to study to be a doctor was you needed references and he didn't have the social standing to get these references. So in his earlier years, he decides he wants to make something of himself and, you know, be in the room where it happens. Little Hamilton reference there for you. In 1775, after several successful papers of his are published, he finally gets the references he needs to formally get his medical doctorate. He begins a very successful career in Paris as a doctor, including being the official doctor for the bodyguard of the king's sons, which he's paid a substantial yearly sum for. Not bad. So I won't go into too much detail because, I mean, we're not here for a history lesson on the French Revolution. Uh, But basically, he slowly kind of finds himself more and more involved in politics and plays a small but anonymous role in the beginning workings of the revolution, eventually becoming a much more prominent figure as it kind of heats up. Okay. So Marat was a member of a radical club associated with the Montagnard, the Jacobin influence within the French Revolution and particularly Jean-Paul Marat, are very closely linked to a time within the revolution called the Reign of Terror or the Terror. This is essentially a period of massacres, public executions of their opposition, including many aristocrats, and in particular members of the Gionda. We're talking like heads on spikes being paraded down the street type, type deal. 
Obviously, Charlotte is disgusted by this and devastated by the deaths within this group that she sympathizes and supports, and she blames Murat personally for these massacres. And a lot of kind of the history reports I was able to find kind of support him kind of being the center of this like there's a lot of official paperwork that seems to have his signature on it so he does genuinely kind of seem to be a main supporter of this uh, reign of terror so she concocts a plan to assassinate him stating what killing one man would save a hundred thousand so it's likely that this plan begins to form around the time of the fall of the Girondas on the 2nd of June so on the 9th of July, Charlotte leaves her home and travels to Paris, spending several days exploring and writing her formal reasons for murdering Malat, titled Adresse au Français Ami de Louis et de la Paix. Nice. Or Address to the French Friends of Law and Peace. She also purchases a large kitchen knife. Initially, when Marat was heavily involved in the workings of the revolution, uh, Charlotte had planned to assassinate him in public at one of the national conventions. But by the time her plan has come together, Marat has all but retired from public meetings due to a skin condition that um, has drastically worsened, meaning he's basically housebound. He's at the point where he only takes meetings from his bath side, where he stays in for hours on end, soaking in a medicinal concoction. So on the 13th of July, she attends Marat's home, claiming she has the names of and plans of a Giondist uprising. And initially she's turned away by Marat's family, but she returns later that evening because she's like, she's like, nah, dude, you got to know these people's names. Like, I'm going to give you good shit. So despite protests from his family, Marat lets her in. He at this stage has also kind of been deemed unworthy I guess by the very group he helped so they've stopped reading his letters that he writes at conventions and it's very highly likely that he's kind of salivating for any information to get him back in their good graces yeah so Charlotte goes upstairs where Marat is in his medicinal bath they speak for around 15 minutes during which time he writes down the presumably fake names that Charlotte gives him he tells her their heads will fall within a fortnight which is what Charlotte tells the jury at her trial so at this point, she rises from her chair at the side of his bath, pulls out the five-inch kitchen knife she concealed in her corset and stabs him just below his right collarbone, piercing a major artery very close to his heart. Jean-Paul Marat bleeds out within seconds. However, before he dies, residents in the house hear him cry out, Edemoi moi chéri ami, or help me, my dear friends. His wife Simone rushes upstairs along with the distributor of Marat's paper, that he wrote who was in the home at the time of his death. Charlotte is seized while neighbours attempt to revive him to no avail. Quickly word spreads and a mob baying for her blood gathers outside the home. Charlotte un does undergo a short trial. Her letter that she'd previously written explaining her reasons for murdering him as well as a final address that she'd written to her father prove without a doubt that the act was premeditated and after the cross-examiners are satisfied that she acted alone and not as part of a larger Giondist uh, coup, Charlotte Corday is sentenced to death by guillotine. On so this next part is just the most dramatic, most French thing I've ever heard, and I can see it in my mind, and it's okay. just amazing. So on the 17th of July, Charlotte stands alone in front of an enormous crowd. Reports state that she's calm, wearing a red overcoat to symbolize her as a traitor. A brief summer rainstorm drenches her and the crowd before the guillotine falls and she dies. 
Can't you just it's see? Very dramatic. Like, oh. Yeah. Sadly, whilst she had initially assassinated Jean-Paul thinking that it would bring an end to a lot of the bloodshed, it actually does the opposite. It fuels the very acts that she was trying to stop and Jean-Paul Marat is seen as a martyr and busts are erected in his honour. Whilst a lot of the French, especially women who supported um, the kind of violent Eat the Rich group, shunned her in her death... Uh, she did forever change the perceptions of what women were capable of. And for those who didn't openly shun her, she was seen and championed by many as a fearless heroine, as well as a figurehead in the growing feminist movement within the French Revolution. There you go. And that is the story of the female assassin, Charlotte Corday. And Fantastic. I just think she's a fucking badass. Like she hides a kitchen knife in her fucking corset and stabs this like dude. And then she gets guillotined. The only thing she asked for prior to being sentenced to death was she wanted a portrait of herself painted. Oh, okay. Um, and there's actually a, there's kind of within that last tidbit almost a kind of misogynistic undertone in that despite the fact that she was a natural brunette, the painter portrayed her with white blonde hair to signify that she was like this vain, evil, aristocratic woman who went to the trouble of going to get her hair powdered because mm. um, you know how the French women yeah, had that white powder. powdered wigs yeah. um, before she went and like viciously killed this man, which right. I was like, I mean, yeah, she did kill him, but that's Still. a bit unnecessary history is written by the victors or the those who are still left alive history is written by men yeah history is written by bitter old white men pretty much pretty much um and yeah so that is the story of the female assassin charlotte corday great okay well we're going to take a small little break tend to our very energetic kittens i got one rubbing up against my leg right now um, so we're going to take a little little break and we'll see you afterwards after that. Okay. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. For you, that may have been a very brief intermission. For us, mm-hmm. it's been a whole damn 24 hours yeah. because Tama's laptop decided to shit itself. Thankfully, we didn't lose the entire episode because that would have sucked. But uh, so it is currently a day later Yes. to what you just listened to 30 seconds ago. So thank you very much, Autosave, for being a thing because you've saved half of this podcast. Yes. So that is why the episode as you're listening to now is a day late because it shit itself at like 11 o'clock at night and we had to go to bed. Yeah. No, we were like, no, not happening. We contemplated redoing the second half because, mind you, we recorded the entire second half of the show. Yes. And then it deleted itself and then we contemplated re-recording it and it was like 11.30 and we were like, we both have to go to work tomorrow. Let's not do that. Let's go to sleep. So we thank so here you for we your are. patience. Yes. Take uh, two of Thomas' story. So take two. This is a case that I, I again, um, we're following the trend that I've sort of been doing with, which is recent cases, recent as in this year, which is completely opposite to your case, which is many years ago. 
Um, so I'm talking about a very recent case of a, um, a young binary person named Helen Rose Hastings. So Helen's, Helen Rose Hastings was born on, in July 2002 and they were the only daughter of Philip Hastings and Susan Rosenberg. They grew up in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, and both their parents were geneticists. So they were working in a nearby Baylor College of Medicine. Helen was a bright child growing up with many hobbies, including swimming, rock band camp, theater, and robotics, which I found really cool. As a child, they begged for a little sister, but their mother, Susan, had developed preeclampsia during her their pregnancy and had almost died. So Helen was the only child. Helen was actually named after the Hellenic people in honor of their mother's Greek roots, which I found very cool. So Helen would often spend time traveling the world with their parents to places like Oslo, Croatia, and Tokyo for their many lecture circuits, being, you know, scientists or geneticists rather. Um, they would travel around the world and talk to people all over the world about their, mm. their studies. So during these trips... Helen does developed a love for the Japanese culture. Now, by the age of 11, Helen began the stages of figuring out who they were and what people around them were like. Now, as you can imagine, being a very kind, bright-eyed child, they were definitely a massive target for bullying themselves. So soon after this bullying, they developed a condition called misophonia, which is roughly translate, uh, not roughly translated, literally translated means hatred of sound. It is a chronic condition that causes intense emotional reactions to specific sounds. So this can be chewing gum, chewing food, uh, breathing, typing, clicking pens, basically people who cannot stand such noises. They would hate me. Yes, they would absolutely hate you. Uh, soon into their teenage years, they started identifying as non-binary and pansexual. So, from this point onwards, they were continuing to use the pronouns she and they. So, I'll mostly be referring to them as they, but they did use the pronoun she as well. So, when Helen entered into a same-sex relationship with a classmate, the very same classmate told other people at the school of their relationship. Now, this would be fine if Helen had already come out as being non-binary and pansexual. However... She hadn't. Mm. So this is kind of a shitty thing to do. So basically, effectively outing Helen against her permission and bringing down a whole lot of bullying onto them, unfortunately. So the stress of being bullied over being pansexual led Helen to develop anxiety, depression, and unfortunately, an eating disorder, which they would struggle with for the rest of their lives. Helen also later would enter into an emotionally abusive relationship with someone they met online, a traumatic experience they frequently referred to on their social media. When Helen was in the eighth grade, they had a friend named Bailey who invited them to a local convention centering around cosplay. Now, if you're not too familiar with what cosplay is, it is a portmanteau of costume and play. So in which cosplayers wear costumes and fashion accessories to represent a specific character from an anime, video games, film, etc., it's a very big thing amongst Supernova, PAX, and there's general conventions, especially in Texas. That's a massive all, thing on the internet. Yes, definitely. But in Texas, there's a huge community around it. So the, they went to this convention and were just entranced by the culture, specifically the escapism of becoming a specific character and for days just completely forgetting that the outside world existed and just living in the moment. 
And you can imagine being someone who has gone through years of torment for just identifying as something or just being who you are, mm. escaping into a character and being someone else, completely removing that yeah. element of your life. And being in a whole community of people that accept Exactly, you. yeah, exactly. So moving forward, Helen would continue to focus on their studies and pour all their social life into the world and community of cosplay. And, you know, around these age, you know, you find these specific things in these culture and this community and you'll, you know, tend to gravitate towards these people because they understand what you're going through, they know your likes. And you can imagine, you know, Helen, as I said, being a bit of a vulnerable person, um, really gravitating towards people in this community. So they actually amassed a pretty decent following on TikTok, gaining over 120,000 followers. And while in the cosplay scene, Helen would go on to make many friends and connections. So two years into their newfound passion of cosplay, Helen met another cosplayer by the name of Snow who also went by the names and handles on their social media of Yandere Freak or Snow the Salt Queen. Now, Yandere is a trope popularized by Japanese dating sims with someone who is sometimes affectionate and sometimes they want to kill you. Generally, it's like an individual who grows slightly possessive or obsessive of someone um, while maintaining a pretty innocent demeanor, but will also go to great lengths to get what they want. Um, so Snow was also identified as non-binary. They were born on September 1998. And they were also from Houston as well. So obviously Helen and Snow were quick to become very close friends. Snow was a pretty big figure in the cosplay scene. They amassed a following on TikTok of over 1.6 million and about 60,000 on Instagram, which is very decent. Mm. Often they would make posts of them dressed up as a character Diva from uh, a game called Overwatch, though particularly they had an affinity for the character called Junko from the Japanese video game series Danganronpa. So this is why I kind of found this case a bit you know, sort of interesting to me. Mm. Um, I am actually a, a fan of the Danganronpa game series. And what really concerns me about Snow um, being a public figure is they will refer to themselves as the IRL Junko. Now, why is this kind of a bit of a risque thing to call yourself? Well, in order to do that, I need to explain the game a little bit towards to you. So Danganronpa is a game centering around despair versus hope. It's set in a school called Hope's Peak Academy, which is the a school where the best of the best and their expertise can attend. So a student who uh, is the ultimate fashionista uh, named Junko Enoshima plans a... Uh, after being just bored of being perfect at basically their field and just never being interested in anything else, they concoct a plan to bring the high school and eventually the entire world into a state of despair. So she does this by manipulating and brainwashing various students, eventually leading to a literal mass apocalypse. So she traps entire classrooms of people um, and there's one particular classroom uh, in which... Uh, centers around the first game being the only survivors left in the school who aren't under her brainwash um, who are also the only ones alive uh, at this point 
they she removes all their memories and when they wake up they're in what is called the killing game where in order to escape the prison slash school they must successfully murder one of their fellow students without anyone knowing it was them so junko would communicate with his classmates using a bare animatronic called monokuma encouraging this by showing the students threatening videos on of their loved ones uh, amongst many many other things so once a murder does happen, a clue-finding phase begins and later a class trial where you as a player have to figure out who was the murderer. If you don't do this, the murderer gets to escape the school and everyone else who didn't figure out who it was is literally executed. Uh, the person behind this, as I mentioned, is Junko Enoshima. Now, you can sort of see why calling yourself the IRL Junko Fucked is up. a bit of a red flag. Yeah. In itself, it's like, you know what? If you're just a regular person, you're a fan of the series, whatever. But around like all these sort of next few things I'll cover, these connotations, it kind of makes it all fall into place and makes it really odd. So, as I mentioned, there is not just this sort of weird red flag, but they were actually under a lot of scrutiny for several different um, uh, just things that they did that weren't particularly very thoughtful or, um, I guess, good to do. On top of this, uh, Snow had been known for dressing up as underage characters of various franchises and selling nude photos to her fans. One of the more controversial occurrences were when, in 2019, Snow and a friend of theirs had traveled to a large cemetery in Texas called West Hills Cemetery. So Snow recorded themselves dancing on graves, sitting on graves with their bare ass and pushing boots on gravestones all while in cosplay. And I believe they were wearing a Junko cosplay while doing this, which kind of makes it all the more kind of gross. So after they posted these videos, the cosplay community weren't, obviously they weren't too very happy with this. So, you know, rather than showing remorse and taking the videos down maybe, you know, apologizing. Snow defended their actions by saying they had permission to film in the cemetery. So this is when the superintendent, Jimmy Morzinski, released in emails essentially confirming that they had not given them permission to do any filming on that area. And if they did so again, they would be promptly arrested. Still, after this came out, there was no apology, no remorse, and in fact, they would go so far as to mock anyone who was condemning their actions. It's all coming together now, isn't it? This is, yeah, isn't a very good not person. Seeming good. And just to add on top of this, the they had an alleged uh, scheduled fundraiser for sick kittens that they owned, uh, in which they pocketed all the money for themselves to spend on whatever they wanted. So. All throughout this, Helen and Snow still grew close together as friends and began hanging out more often. Helen didn't really care much for this, you know, scrutiny around her friend. Mm. And I might also mention, you know, Snow is rather older than Helen is, you know, in her okay. 20s. Yeah. And Helen's 18. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if you remember anything from those ages looking at kids who are older than you. It's very yeah, influential. Yeah, it's a very big Im- imbalance of power. Yes. So, around this time, Helen's relationship with their mother grew very fractured, both getting into fights regularly, having noticed a significant change in, you know, her daughter. Snow had a circle of friends that would very often, and I mean very, very often, drink heavily and smoke a lot of pot. 
And as I mentioned before, you can imagine how influential this person would have been in, you know, Helen's life, a literal, you know, icon they look up to, Mm. you know. Um, So Helen eventually joins in on this lifestyle. However, after succeeding in their high school studies, Helen was eventually accepted into Oberlin College in Ohio, which is southwest of Cleveland. Helen's mother, Susan, helped them move from Houston to Ohio. Uh, The weeks prior to their move, Helen had been living with snow. So, as this was all happening around the epidemic, Helen's parents were both high-risk patients to coronavirus. So, Helen thought it would be best if they isolated from both of them. Susan obviously having an issue with Helen's friends, namely Snow, obviously, and their group. So, the two had been having a lot of arguments recently. But uh, around the time of the move, they actually reconciled and decided to put it all past them. Though, obviously, Susan was still not too thrilled with their daughter, Helen, being friends with Snow. So, Helen had been doing well at college, making new friends and focusing on their studies. Seeming like they were heading into the right direction, but soon in November 2020, COVID cases began rising again in the area, resulting in Oberlin College forcing to shut down and Helen returning to Houston to return resume their studies online. So, Helen had moved back in with Snow for the time being. Now, the environment for... Studying was not particularly great for Helen. Uh, They would continue to excel in their studies despite uh, the environment not being great. But Snow obviously being a terrible influence, often heavily drinking and smoking pot. Uh, Helen was just infatuated with Snow and really looked up to her as a role model, you know, being someone in the cosplay scene and just really wanted to aspire to be like her. So she, they quite often found themselves in situations where, you know, they were stuck in a pool of irresponsibility. Mm. On the 17th of January, 2021, as per usual, Snow was drinking and smoking with her, their friends and Helen had been joining in. They Now, when I say they drink and smoke a lot, not just like frequently, yeah. but they've been drinking since the afternoon of the previous day Oof. and it is night time. That makes me want to vomit just yes. thinking about it. So at this point, uh, they were still drinking uh, and they were watching movies and TV shows together. They started watching the series Gotham. While watching a scene with the character Penguin, Snow tells the others that they have a gun just like the one that he is wielded in. So Snow goes to the garage to find the gun, which had been previously owned by their ex-boyfriend and had an empty clip. Now, it's important to mention that Snow had been seen quite often playing with this gun, um, just fooling around with it, you know, mm-hmm. just holding it. She enjoyed holding it and using it, not firing it, obviously, but still, you're getting this sort of Junko vibe that I'm putting out. It's just, it's a little bit odd. Snow brought the gun back into the living room and believing it not to be loaded, they pointed the gun at one of their friends. Uh, after pointing at one of their friends, they lowered it down and continued to watch the TV show, still holding onto it and kind of fiddling around with it. Now, Helen, obviously wanting to fit in and seem, you know, tough in front of Snow and their Mm -hmm. friends, asked Snow to do the same thing to them. Snow complies. Uh, Again, believing the gun is completely empty, they point the gun at Helen's head, essentially point blank. Only this time, Snow pulls the trigger. The gun fires, point blank firing into Helen, and immediately she hits the floor, pouring blood onto the carpet. Oh, Jesus. Those in attendance were in shock, obviously, though quickly they tried to find something to stop the bleeding, 
and settling on a large teddy bear. Helen was rushed to hospital, put on life support, and she was put through MRIs to see if they, there was any brain activity, but they found very little. Helen had signed an organ donor card, so the hospital asked their mother, Susan, if they could keep her on life support until they found a suitable recipient for the organs about three days or so. Susan gave them two days, and after two days, after she had been shot, uh, while singing Helen's favorite so- favorite Beatles songs and show tune songs, Susan took off their, her, her daughter's life support, and Helen was pronounced dead at 5.18 p.m. That's sad. So were they able to find suitable... Donors for her? No, so they, they needed three or more days, right. but their mother, Susan, just couldn't handle, you know, H- Helen being on life support, so they decided to just mm. cut the life support off, which, you know, you, you don't know how you would react in that situation. Yeah, um, I always say it's very easy to stand back and say, yeah, of well, course. one extra day to save how many lives. Of course, lives. but, you know, we don't know what it's like to be in that situation. Yeah, of course. Um, so take with it as you will. Have your opinion. That's perfectly fine. But, you know, we don't know what that's like um, at the very least. So for months, no one outside the small circle of people in Houston, namely being the parents and the people who were there the night, know of how Helen had died. But, you know, word spreads around that she is now dead. So people in the college she attended believe it to be a suicide. Um, There was just no real information around it. So Snow later told police that they assumed the gun was empty and they never really played with it. It was just, you know, locked up in his case and they thought because the clip's empty, it would have been an unloaded gun. Well, most people often forget, and um, this is... Again, one of the biggest arguments for gun safety and, you know, gun awareness, mm. even if a clip is empty, the gun can still be loaded, uh, it can still have a, a bullet loaded in the chamber. Right. So, you have the clip and you have a handgun. The clip goes in, but the, in the chamber, there can actually be a bullet lodged in the chamber. Mm. That's where a bullet is ready to be fired. So, even if, even if you take the clip out or you empty the bullets, there can still be a bullet loaded in the chamber. Um, and this is one of the many arguments of like, you know, the people should fucking know this. If you have a gun, you should at the very least know everything about it that could mm-hmm. go wrong. Anyway, even after taking another person's life, Snow continued to post videos fairly regularly on their TikTok. Now you might be thinking, you know, then maybe there's posting videos that they had already made, drafted and mm-hmm. were, you know, keeping them the engagement up, you know. Well, that that potentially might be what's happening, but here's the thing. After being arrested for manslaughter, Snow was released with a bond of $20,000 just two days after being arrested. So, as of right now, Snow is living their normal life until the court date settled later on this year, I believe. So, four days after the manslaughter of Helen, Snow posted a video to TikTok announcing they will be taking a hiatus. Now, you know, how long do you think is enough to sort of take some time off and contemplate the fact that you just killed one of your friends that mm, you live with? Months? Three weeks. Three weeks later. I thought you were going to say less than that to be... I thought you were going to say That's fair. Week. But still three weeks. Yeah. You know, some. it's just... And, and here's the thing. So, they're back on the platform with new cosplayers and videos. Now, okay, three weeks is still, you know, I guess, a lengthy amount of time. Whatever. But despite just killing one of their friends, they were posting videos still centering around Don Gunrumpa 
which, as I mentioned, was all about killing your friends in order to and getting away with it in order to escape a school. Um, yeah, it's great. Hiding bodies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they were making videos literally about hiding dead bodies and making jokes of hiding dead bodies, ha- having jokes about people being dead or just straight up involving murder itself. Mm, yeah, that's weird. So that's, you know, you would think like, I just killed someone. I better not make jokes about yeah, that. Yeah, maybe let's do some like Winnie the Pooh cosplay or something. Maybe be- or just maybe just avoid killing, you know, maybe just not do that. So literally their demeanor is just so seemingly unfazed by killing uh, someone they were apparently very close with. So by August this year, prosecutors were seeking to revoke Snow's bail due to them seeming to violate the conditions of their bonds. So this included failure to report to pre-trial services as directed, failing to comply with curfew requirements, and failing to comply with the rules of the electronic monitoring program. So this means they uh, were letting their GPS tracker run out of battery and be out of service for more than four hours. So while it took... um, it, it took a long time for people to actually learn how Helen died. As I mm. mentioned before, the parents were keeping it pretty wrapped up. And I think, you know, out of respect, the friends of Snow didn't really mention it to mm. anyone else. So, uh, despite this, people soon found out, predominantly in October of this year. And when people found out, this led to a huge backlash against Snow on, namely, their TikTok. So as of right now, um, I mean, this happened a while ago, but right now, if you want to look up Snow's profiles, they're deleted. They completely deleted everything off social media. They've ghosted, completely gone offline and seemingly just completely abandoned every all their platforms and any remorse for their actions. So it's unclear how they will plead in the coming trial. I wouldn't put it past them to plead not guilty because that seems like the person that they are. If found guilty, the Snow faces a minimum of two years and a fine of $10,000, which considering their bond was $20,000 and they paid it. Yeah. Um, kind of fucked up. They could face a max of 20 years imprisonment, though, for the endangerment, endangerment and death of Helen. Um, I don't know quite how to feel about that. Uh, two years and ten thousand dollars when they paid twenty thousand dollars for the bond yeah, feels like a, of, a bit of a slap on the wrist to the family. A bit of a slap in the face. Yeah. As well. Um, considering you just fired a gun at someone's face. Yep. While drinking heavily and smoking a lot of weed. And by drinking heavily, I mean. Over 24 hours worth of drinking. Yeah, just maybe like don't touch a gun if you've had no, that much to drink. No, How about that? How about that? Just yeah. don't touch just a fucking don't. gun after drinking. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Um, so oh. that is the unfortunate case of Helen That's Hastings. Um, the death at the hands of Snow the Salt Queen or Yandere Freak. Um, I think a lot of unfortunate things here. And again... Um, like much like the Emperor's Ghost Squad, um, Tyler, Tyler Hadley thing, it's sort of putting a damper onto a franchise that like doesn't really need to be associated with this mm. shit. Um, it's just kind of like video game creator is like we just tried to make a weird fucked up video. Yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, and it's a pretty fucked up video game um, about you know 
people high school aged killing each other and trying mm. to get away with it. Sure. I mean, but there's so much more to it. Um, and it's, it's, it's very much like uh, a, a detective style game where you got to find clues and figure shit out and solve murders, which yeah. is like pretty interesting stuff. Um, but really doesn't need this implication of like you being a real life person obsessed with this person who puts people through killing games. It's sort of like, you know, being obsessed with like Pablo Escobar. You're like, oh, I really like Pablo Escobar. It's like, you know, he killed a lot of innocent yeah. people. Like a lot of innocent people. Yeah. And Columbia really fucking hates him. Yeah. And you wearing a t-shirt of him really fucking spits in the face. Yeah. It's a similar concept. It's, I think there's a yeah, there's a big difference between being interested in something yeah, totally. and, and quote loving. I, I mean, like the character is is very interesting, but you being obsessed with the character that you yeah. constantly want to dress up like the character and that's kind of and coice off the real Junko. That's um, weird. Everything I've read though uh, makes this snow person seem like a absolute piece of shit. Uh, I've seen <clears throat> many people around them saying that they thrived on the controversies around them they were one of those kind of like you know any attention is good attention yeah um which seemingly given that they have over a million followers i can definitely see that but that's what i mean i you ever whenever you see like huge astronomical rise and like creators like that um usually it comes from either you know um, some occurrences it happens because it's a natural organic thing or because they're capitalizing off of controversy. Yeah. Um, I also saw stuff where they were like um, talking trash on people who were trying to cosplay things that they did, um, like characters they would often cosplay and were trashing other people who were doing it openly, being a very predominant figure in the cosplay scene, mm. talking down to people who probably had less money than her and yeah. probably weren't and as experienced as them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a shitty thing to do. And I, I even saw uh, they they sold a wig to another cosplayer um, and a very low quality wig for the Junko cosplay to another cosplayer for like five times the price they paid for it. Um, so just very shitty person. Very, very shitty person. Um, I think at the very least, I think it's good that their TikTok is down because I don't think they should be able to thrive off of, you know, something like this happening to them, mm. which I believe, you know, if they had the opportunity to do so, I 100% imagine they would do it, you know, capitalize off of it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't put it, I, I wouldn't um, be surprised if their, you know, millions of followers came as a result of their controversy with the whole cemetery thing. Yeah. Because um, they were literally using it as like fuel to boost their social media platform. Yeah, that's gross. Which is just kind of gross. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that is my case for this week. Um, if you are just here for the cases, um, this is where the show the end, ends for yeah. you because we're going to just ramble on for a little bit. And yeah, if you're not into that, we'll see you guys on Friday. Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. I don't know, man. Life is kind of weird. It's really, this whole jury duty is really, it's really throwing me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully Friday we'll have two more weeks. Two more weeks of episodes. Of episodes. And then we're going to take a small hiatus just for um, Christmas break. Christmas, New Year's, yeah. holiday. Um, and you guys should too, you know, just have a little break. 
a little break. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you are here for the rambling and the shit talking and just the welcome unprofessional side of the podcast, then welcome. Welcome, welcome. I can't promise that the shit talking is going to go for very long. No. Because I am about to fall asleep in my chair. Yeah. Um, I also am, I don't have much to talk about. Well, yeah. I think so. I'm all out of words. I feel like I've been spending too many, too many times, too many times, too much time around other humans, talking to other humans all day. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been kind of rough trying to find that balance of like, how do you deal with talking with people and then coming home and then having time for yourself? Yeah. Um, it's tricky. It's a very tricky thing. I think um, effectively for a lot of people, the lockdowns itself has really mentally fucked a lot of people. Yeah, I just find like I'm so tired all the time, not even like a physical thing. It's like I'm... Mental thing? Yeah, like mentally yeah. so exhausted all the time from talking to people. Yeah. I just, just tired. Yeah, it's it's um it's mentally exhausting. I think also just in like a like a work setting as well. Just being someone that isn't typically you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you can't talk about certain things, or you can't be a certain person. You can't really like I don't know, fucking let down your guard, or mm. just be a regular the human being that you are, and. Then you come home and you're like, well, fuck, that was Yeah, I feel like of... neither of us have particularly uh, corporate-friendly personalities. No, and neither of us really enjoy being that. So it's a bit of a weird fucking balance of trying to figure that out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess um, as time goes by, it'll come, become a bit easier, maybe, hopefully. Hmm. Um, maybe we'll just have to, you know, do what we did the first lockdown where it was kind of tricky and just start getting obsessed with cocktails again. Yeah. I feel like maybe having like a couple of weeks off will just. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bring I don't know. That, allow us to like recalibrate. Well, not even that. Like, cause I feel the drive to do the show. Like I really enjoy doing the show. It's just like, I feel like out of sync with life. Yeah. Like, I feel like having some time off, not doing the podcast, like, I assume not playing D&D for a few weeks, mm -hmm. like, literally just a couple of weeks of we both have time off work. So, it's, like, literally just some time to be at home, have some time off, not do anything and recalibrate. It'll be really nice. Yeah. Um, I've just been joined by Pi. He is yeah. rubbing up against my H leg. He has just come in as well. Do you want to say hi on the podcast, Pi? I'm sure he'd love to say hello if you can get him to talk. Can you... Oh, he's a good boy. Say you want to say hi? No, he's microphone shy. Oh, he's having a little sniff. What's that? <laughs> no, he's not really that interested. Um, yeah, wow. I'm so sorry, guys. I really don't have a lot of things to talk about. Maybe it's a no bones week. It really is. It's a no bones month. Yeah. I have no bones. I have no brain. I'm sorry if yeah. this episode has not been the best. We've both also been um, exercising a lot more frequently. Yeah. So it's it's like... I haven't quite 
caught up. My body's like, yeah. okay, I tie tie now. I go to sleep. Um, I've been I've been doing this like five day program, um, like Monday to Friday. So that's been um interesting. And now I'm we're sort of leaving the working from home phase and going back into working in the office. Um, so like balancing everything is going to be a bit of a complication, but we'll figure it out. Um, mm. it, it it is good having like. I, th- I feel like having um, a schedule and like a program to work off of has been really good. Having that, just that normalcy and having something to sort of um, base your time off of and schedule around. I think it's good. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's all just going to sort of fall back into its own little places and yeah. we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, just some, sorry. Oh dear. <coughs> oh boy. I had a little sneeze. Um, just like finding your personality again because I feel like <clears throat> so much of your personality is made up of the things you get to do, uh, like your hobbies, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like ob- ob- obviously your personality is who you are at your core, but like that's comprised of and feeling yourself is comprised of doing things that you enjoy. And I feel like so much of that fell away during this second lockdown, partly because obviously we couldn't leave. It was a very extended lockdown, but also partly just because the sheer monotony of like not being able to see our friends, not being able to see our families, not being able to go anywhere, like wake up, have breakfast, walk to the spare room, log into work, work all day, log off, sit in front of the TV, have dinner, go to sleep, wake up. Like it was just, and it was that for five months. I almost find worse than that is the dependency on it though. Because once you come out of it, you're like, you know, traveling by train or going to the office or just going about doing things again. It's like, if it's your body's like, what are we doing? Mm. Why are we doing this? We spent months not doing this. Yeah. Why am I now doing this again? Yeah. And it's almost like harder than at that fucking three month point where it's like we've been inside for three months. Um, It's almost harder than that. Like that realization of fuck, we've been here for so fucking long. All that guilt feeling of never knowing when it's going to end. Now it's like we're back into it and it's like how... Do you deal with that? Yeah. How the fuck are we meant to exist like nothing ever happened? Yeah, no, I because I we can't. That. We really can't. We can't go back to the way things were mentally, especially, and the world just expects you to be like, well, fucking things are open again. Mm. Go back at it, stupid. You remember how things were twenty nineteen? Yeah. Do it again. I'm like I like, can't how? do it again. How the I'm... fuck am I meant to do that? Yeah, I can't. I got too used to, like, life. Can't do it. It's just, it's kind of fucked up. And that's going to be the hardest thing is just, you know, like, in in Australia right now, um, Parliament's saying that they're not going to allow more lockdowns to happen. And it's like, okay, well, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't really want more lockdowns purely because I just want to, like, get into a routine and just kind of, like get into this new yeah. life. But, uh, yeah, sorry, guys. It's a bit of a downer. It is, yeah. Let's talk about something um, nice. I've been sharing a lot of uh, animal videos to Laura. Um, there was one particularly of it. was And 
I should probably explain. Uh, Australia is kind of in the middle of like a really fucking crazy storm at the moment, La Nina. Mm. Um, so it's raining constantly. Uh, there's a video of a little bird. Um, I think it was a lorikeet. I can't remember. So cute. It was stuck in a tree being rained on. And uh, obviously this person who owns a van, I think they're a postie or something. They had a little bird cage installed into the van. And this bird obviously knew the person. So they um, allowed the bird to climb to their hand. And they took it into the van, in the van and it started flying around and, and dancing like in the cage. its wings yeah. out. It was really cute. Very wholesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we fucking need that. So if you guys have any cute little wholesome pet videos or videos. wholesome send videos or photos, I love send them. wholesome animals. Yeah, videos. let's all, let's all, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to upload maybe some more stuff on stories and try to spread a bit, spread a bit more positivity yeah. in this sort of weird time. Because so I feel like we really need it. But for today, maybe should we wrap this up for today? Yes. Yeah. I don't want to be a downer on you guys. And I think we're both falling asleep at our chairs. Yes. But thank you very much for joining this episode of, I nearly said D&D. D&D. Thank you for joining D&D. Um, um, best of call. Take two hit points of damage. Thank you for joining uh, this week's episode. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so at the BSC podcast. Uh, let's say the code word for this week is... Social distancing, because why not? And I'm looking at a hat that says social, social distancing. Yeah. Do we need to have that be the code word? Social club. Social club. Social club. That's yeah. the other half of that hat. Yeah. Social club. The code word for the week is social club. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you. On the flippity flip. On the flippity flip. Yeah. Catch you on, on the a flippity, flippity flip. flip. God damn it. Bye. Bye.